0: If we can find our seats, please, if you are in the lobby, run, find your seats. We are going to dive right in. If you would, actually, rather than find your seats, why don't you stand with me? We're going to read our text this morning. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands, remains forever. We are reading God's word. We're in Isaiah chapter 9. We're reading verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. That's quite a uh, transition from the previous eight chapters. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of the Nephtali, But in the latter time, he has prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father, we now pray over The preaching of your word, we ask that you would bring light to the darkness. Lord, the darkness of of this world, the darkness of some of our hearts this morning, we pray that you would turn the lights on. We pray that you would be at work, that you might move as your word is preached this morning. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, uh, for Thanksgiving vacation, Thanksgiving week, uh, the Merwins and the Bowmans and my cousin Jay, we were all able to go to the mountains of Georgia and we found ourselves in Mount, Mount Yonah. And this picture is taken from um, the bottom of, that's Mount Yonah in the background. And we're at, Kim and I are at the Jumping Goat Cafe. So, all right, so if you're ever in the Helen area, um, I recommend that cafe, and I recommend that mountain to hike. So we hiked that mountain, and I don't know if you can see in the picture there, but at the top, there's actually a, a rock um, ledge. And the next pictures are taken from the top on that ledge. And so um, here's, here's the Bowman boys and Tanner, and we're just sitting on that rock ledge. And the views are stunning. It's just really, um, right? Pictures don't do it justice. They, they really don't. Um, and so that picture actually is looking back to uh, the Jumping Goat Cafe. And so how about that? Pretty cool. Now, there's a point to that. And my point is that, well, my theory is the harder the hike, the better the views, all right so if you're on a hike and it's really 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 hard um maybe it's worth it right because when you're hiking and you're hiking hard and you're feeling like i don't know if it's worth it i just encourage you to stick with it because often at the end of that hike comes a view and often it's stunning i'm sure my hiking hero richie riando can tell you a lot more about that you can talk to him as he is an A.T. hiker. Now, if you're paying attention as we're preaching through and reading through the book of Isaiah, we might think of the first eight chapters as a really difficult hike. It's a challenging hike. And when you come to chapter nine and you read in verse one, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. It should It should kind of just shake us or cause us to go, wait, 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 didn't we just read these previous eight chapters, I'll just say, of gloom and anguish? Like those, that's rough hiking, those first eight chapters. We were discussing those chapters as a preaching team and we were concerned for you, the church, walking through those chapters. We wanted to make sure that we didn't leave us week after week in despair. Because Isaiah, really, it's just little droplets in those chapters of grace. He just brings a lot of gloom, a lot of anguish, a lot of need for repentance and little drops of grace. And then you come to chapter nine and you might be thinking, if you've been tracking along, wait, did we open up to the wrong book? But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Remember chapter six? Chapter six introduced a turning point for us where King Uzziah had died. And we made a big point out of that. In the year that King Uzziah died, you could also say in the year King Uzziah died, we could, we could add to that in the year his son, King Ahaz took the throne. So in the year that King Uzziah died, who failed in his later years in his his reign, his son took the throne who failed entirely in his reign. Isaiah records, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up and his throne was on display. With the failing thrones on display, here's the eternal throne with the eternal king ruling and reigning in the year that we well because King Uzziah's reign was a reign of prosperity things went really well for the people but now he's gone in the year of uncertainty in the year of instability I saw the rock of ages and he is enthroned that was chapter six and then you roll into chapter seven Alex preached that two weeks ago and we have we have this wait what moment? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we know from the New Testament, it tells us Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you think that in chapter 7, those people of Judah and Jerusalem, do you think it mattered to them that Isaiah's prophesying... Um. Christ is coming. Emmanuel is coming. As as they were about to be crushed by the Assyrian army marching on them, Isaiah's prophesying to them, Emmanuel. In the midst of their pain, in the midst of their suffering, what what is Isaiah saying to them? Excuse me. What is Isaiah saying to them? He's saying, God is with you. God is with you. Christianity, church, is not come to Jesus and he's gonna make your life easy and comfortable and prosperous. It is come to Jesus and he will walk with you in your days of despair, darkness, difficulty. And Christ will come. He will be Emmanuel, God with you to the end. Because he is ushering in here for us to see the prophetic looking forward of 700 years. He's ushering in not another king of some kings, but the king of kings. And he's ushering in an eternal kingdom, and he is the eternal king of that kingdom. Well, then we roll into chapter 8, and that was last week, and Josiah preached that, and you've got this strap on your armor. Uh, moment. Pull up your shield because the Assyrians are attacking Judah and Jerusalem. I don't think there's anything more discouraging than those verses in chapter 8. It's hard hiking. And then we come to chapter 9. Now the problem with chapter 9, the problem with chapter 9 is your and my over familiarity with chapter nine. Like if I was to ask you three months ago, uh, throw out a scripture that you know uh, from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter nine is gonna come up. We know Isaiah chapter nine. The problem is is that familiarity breeds contempt. And so what we're doing as a church, our strategy in preaching through this is to slow down chapter nine and to preach through each of the names of God week by week, last week, wonderful counselor, this week, mighty God, next week, everlasting father, and then prince of peace, the Sunday before Christmas as our advent, because we need to be re-envisioned and um, re-refreshed with the glory of God of those names. What makes the difference for the remnant of people in Isaiah's day, living in Judah and Jerusalem? What makes the difference for them as they don't go around the suffering, but they go right through the suffering with all the rest of rebellious Israel? What makes a difference for them? It's Emmanuel. It's th- the difference for them is is the difference for us. It's the presence of God. What does it matter or what difference does it make that God is with us? That's what the suffering remnant people of God needed to know back then. And I would submit to you, that's what the suffering remnant people of God today need to know is Emmanuel, God is with you. (laughs) Because when you're going through difficulty and pain and suffering, we wonder if God is with us. Have Have you ever said or thought or had that moment? God, where are you in the mess? Well, Isaiah was written for our benefit as we're walking through days of despair but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. So here's the big idea. When God turns the lights on, that's what he's doing here in chapter nine. Joy follows, victory is sure, for unto us a child is born and he, he is the mighty God. Let's unpack that. Point number one, when God turns the lights on, verses one through three. There will be no gloom for her who is in anguish, former time brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Nephtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. God is turning the lights on here in Isaiah chapter nine. Your help, Israel, will not come from King Ahaz. It won't come from his mighty power, his military strength. It won't come from the king's wisdom. No, King Ahaz, his wisdom and his military light actually will lead the people further into darkness. Isaiah is offering this message of hope and joy in the midst of the darkness. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And for us this morning, it should cause us, if we're putting our Bibles together, you should start to think, you know, darkness to light, darkness to light. Okay, that's Second that's Peter. Well, that's First Peter, sorry. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, what? Out of darkness and into his marvelous light. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, that's what he's done for you. He's called you out of the darkness. He's called you into his light. And I ask you this morning, do you remember the day? Well, maybe not necessarily the day because some of us don't remember the day, but do you remember God calling you out of the darkness and calling you into the light? Or do you remember when he turned the lights on in your heart? It's not been too long ago, has it? For any of us in here. And it's critical that we remember God's amazing grace poured into our hearts. Imagine for these people in the face of unthinkable, unimaginable darkness, Isaiah is prophesying something they don't have a category for. The Assyrians are marching on their city and will annihilate them, capture them, and take them into slavery. And Isaiah is saying, "Light has come." The lights came on, and that spells for them the presence of God, Emmanuel. Presence, not not presence under the tree, the presence of the person of Jesus Christ is being prophesied of here. Emmanuel, God with us, which meant that the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, not a mighty army, the mighty Lord of hosts of armies is present in their suffering and in our suffering. But here's what's so beautiful to me. What did the people, what did this remnant people do to usher in the light? Answer, nothing. Not a thing. It wasn't about their wonderful counsel. It wasn't about their might as a people. They didn't produce the light, nor could they produce light it isn't about them and it isn't about us this morning which means their darkness their sin and rebellion and indifference towards God was no match for the wonderful counselor mighty God so in the middle of their reality of what's going on Isaiah paints another reality he paints a prophetic reality that is to come and for us has come they were to put their faith in what is to come we put our faith in what has come and for some of you we're in prayer that it is coming to you even this morning what's more when God turns the lights on joy follows and we see that In the text as well, verse three, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. joy, joy, joy. All over the page there. Joy sweeps into our hearts when Emmanuel comes and he turns the lights on. The response is joy. The reason for the joy is the presence of God himself. It's not nice things. The reason for the joy isn't be joyful because nice things are coming to you. It's not, it's not gifts. It's not prosperity. It's not the things that God will bring to them that will bring them joy. It's Emmanuel. Emmanuel. The great joy that we sing about is joy because we have not stuff that God can give us, not the blessings that He brings, but it's Himself that's what we celebrate. God has turned the lights on in many of our hearts. And we are joyful because we get him. We get him. And the joy is compared to the joy of the workers at the harvest. You see at the end of verse 3, as with the joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil, that's a picture of the joy of soldiers dividing the spoil of war. For us, it's the joy of our salvation. We are saved. Joy. Oh, but there's a lot of darkness and there's a lot of despair and there's a lot of mess. And yet there's joy because we are saved. It's not, what's in view here is no little victory being prophesied of. It's not not a victory over the Assyrians, It's, it's ultimate victory being prophesied of here. It's the triumph of glorious grace. It is final deliverance. It is ultimate deliverance and victory. Again, it's not a gospel. It's not a prosperity gospel moment that we're reading of here. This is through it all. This is, this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It, it is not, I will take you around the fiery furnace. No, it is in the fiery furnace There's a fourth person. God himself is with them in the fire. And so through it all, Christian, there will be joy in the trouble because God will be present with you and there will be ultimate victory in him. And that's why we have, we jump forward to the end of the book. I don't mean Isaiah, I mean the end of the book. Revelation. Revelation, in Revelation, is full of trial and tribulation and folks like to kind of look a lot at that but what what we often miss in revelation is the joy and why is there so much joy in revelation because of the presence of the person of Jesus Christ and he is seated on the eternal throne in the eternal kingdom, which belongs to him. So we have things like this in Revelation chapter seven, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and language standing before the throne and before the lamb and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Isaiah then goes on and he unpacks further reasons for joy. Did you notice when we were reading verse four, verse five and verse six, all begin with the word for? Or it, it, could, it, it could be translated because, that's what that word means there when it's being used like that. So he's saying, all right, the lights have turned on. We now have joy. Here are three reasons. Four in verse number four, four in verse five, and four in verse six. Let's, let's unpack those. For the yoke, or because the yoke, he says in verse four, for the yoke of his burden And the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. You see, the oppressive yoke was something that the Assyrians were known for. As conquerors, they would brag about. The yoke, they would impose on those they conquered. So the yoke was being placed on their enemies here, Judah and Jerusalem. And in the middle of that bragging, Isaiah's prophesying of a day when the mighty God will come as a child and he will conquer our greatest enemy. No, not the Assyrians. That's not the greatest enemy. He's prophesying that there will be a day that will come, that a child will come born of a virgin and he will break the yoke of your enemy of which your enemy brags. Yeah. Amen. Boast of the slavery, which is the enemy. It is the slavery of sin and death. Isaiah is prophesying that there will be a day when a child's gonna come and that yoke will be broken. Your slavery will be broken. Your enemy will be defeated. Look in verse four at the end of um, verse four. You have broken as on the day of Midian. That you there is referring to God. He breaks the yoke. You don't break the yoke. We don't break the yoke. The one who defeats the enemy is God himself. Look at the end of verse seven. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So, The yoke will be broken. And then verse five, for every boot, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And so the second for, the second because is that Christ will come and he will soundly defeat our enemy. Every boot, meaning every enemy, meaning he won't just defeat our enemy, but he will bring final Defeat, complete victory. Every evil, every e- enemy, our wicked flesh itself will be burned in the fire, burned as fuel for the fire of God's amazing grace. And who is this that comes and brings light to the world? And who is this that comes to bring such joy? And who is this that comes to soundly defeat our enemy? And who is this that ushers in our freedom from slavery of sin and death? This is what the 8 chapters has been building to. That's why the difficult hike when you get to the top is glorious. All the trudging through the mud we've done for eight chapters now explodes on the mountaintop of his glory. It's a glorious view up here in chapter nine. For the yoke is broken and every boot is defeated. The third four. For unto us a child is born. I would submit to you all the eight chapters and the first five verses of chapter nine are leading up to this moment. God doesn't come to us as an idea, He doesn't come to us as a bunch of lifeless theology. He doesn't come to us as head knowledge. He doesn't come to us as a moralism. He comes to us as a child, as the wonderful counselor, mighty God. He comes to us as a person. God incarnate, the very presence of God Himself comes to us. It's stunning. But wait, how did the mighty God come to us? I mean, if we didn't, if we weren't so familiar, like, right, this, imagine these people hearing of this prophetic word. He doesn't come like we might expect. He came in insignificance to a tiny town called Bethlehem. insignificant stable a newborn baby God comes how will God destroy his enemies again not like we would expect God will show how powerful he is by sending what we think of as weak a baby See the glory at the mountaintop. God comes as a baby to deliver. He comes as a baby who can't feed himself, is entirely dependent on others. That baby will grow and he will break the yoke of our slavery and destroy our enemies of sin and death. He is the mighty God. Did you hear in the end of verse four, as on the day of Midian? It doesn't give us any more details there, but you know, you know, Midian, that's the whole Gideon thing. As on the day of Midian, talking about Gideon's army. You have broken as on the day of Midian. Meaning, as on the day that I took this army that these folks would have been extremely familiar with, they knew their Old Testament. They knew Gideon, they knew Midian. On the day that I took that army and I whittled it down and then I whittled it down and then I whittled it down down till it was nothing. And then I took that army and I defeated their enemies the point of all of that was so that no man would be left in any position whatsoever to boast in their military might. I will whittle you down to a pope and defeat your enemy who should completely annihilate you so that yourself and all the surrounding nations will behold God. God. The point was never what an amazing army Gideon has or what an amazing military leader Gideon is. And the point was never what an amazing um, shepherd boy David is. The point is he's a shepherd boy. Little ruddy shepherd boy. The point isn't Esther, you're amazing. It's not David, you're incredible. And we go through the long list of them. The point is always in our weakness our God shows himself strong. You and I don't defeat the enemy. God breaks the yoke. God soundly defeats the enemy. So all praise and all joy belongs to the Lord. So what is God's answer to the enemies of Israel? Himself As a child, (laughs) the weakness of a baby. God's answer to the enemies of your soul? A baby. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. God is saying, Your sin and the enemy of your soul is no match for God. I will defeat these foes by sending myself to a virgin as a baby. God's answer was not your righteousness. God's answer was not your morality or your religion. God's answer was and is for unto us a child is born. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty Mighty God. He will in fact be what King Uzziah and King Ahaz dreamed of being in military might and wisdom. God's answer For the enemy of your soul was the weakest thing we could imagine. How did God show the extent of his awesome power? Verse six, for unto us a child is born. How great, how glorious is our mighty God. Mighty enough to be born of a virgin as prophesied. Powerful enough to come to this earth precisely in the town that was prophesied. Mighty enough to defeat every enemy that has aligned itself against him and positions itself against you, Christian. How mighty is our God? Mighty enough to be soundly victorious and meek and humble all at the same time. Mighty enough to conquer while all other saviors Fall and fail mighty enough to allow slash ordain that he himself will be brutally crucified on the cross murdered and yet cry it is finished mighty enough to allow the great enemy of our souls to wag his finger and joyfully celebrate Christ's death on that bloody cross and mighty enough to roll the stone away mighty enough to rise from the grave that entombed him he is the mighty God creator of the universe he was there in the beginning when the Godhead spoke let there be light And there was light. Galaxies were flung into the skies. He's a mighty God. Oceans began to roar. He's a mighty God. He's mighty God, creator. He's mighty God, redeemer. He spoke in the beginning, let there be light. And there was light and he spoke spoke in each of your hearts as Redeemer and he said, let there be light and there's light in your hearts this morning. He spoke in the beginning and he spoke on the cross and he said these words, it is finished and your sins were pardoned. He bore our blame as the whip cracked onto his bloody back, the mighty God was redeeming And reconciling and orchestrating your deliverance from the greatest enemy of your soul, the darkness that entombed you. Mighty God, he rose from the grave. Mighty God, he alone is the one who put you from darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. Mighty God, he's the one who was was spoken of, prophesied of, at the end of verse seven, the zeal of the Lord will do this. Jesus Christ, wonderful counselor, mighty God, this is whom we celebrate this morning, church. This is whom we celebrate this Advent season. Isaiah is writing to that remnant of people, and he's saying to them, in our words today, we say the word Advent, it is to anticipate. And he's saying to them, you are to anticipate your Savior is to come. Place your faith in your Savior who's to come. We celebrate an Advent today in our day. And we look back, the Savior came. And Advent season includes in 2019. We look forward to your Savior is to come. He will come again for his bride, for his church. Isaiah writes to them and says, hey, remnant of people, he's coming. Emmanuel, God with us, and he will come as a baby. And he writes to us as well, remnant of people, living in 2019, to say, chapter nine, that was fulfilled. Take joy in that prophecy fulfilled. And as you look back, be filled with faith for what's yet to come. Welcome to Advent, Trinity. Here we are. We're celebrating that Jesus came, and we're celebrating Jesus will come. He is coming. And by the way, He did not come to tweak your hearts. He did not come to offer you some little minor adjustments. He didn't die to offer you some little bits of self-improvements, self-adjustments. He came to transform you through and through because he's the mighty God. He came to turn the lights on in our dark hearts. Mighty God. Not that God has some might in him. He has all might, all power. 56 times in scripture. 56 times scripture refers to God as almighty or mighty. Do you know how many times? How many times scripture refers to anyone else as almighty? Zero. Zero. Appropriately so. He is all powerful. He is limitless. When Isaiah prophesied and he said, wonderful counselor, mighty God. Isaiah is saying, God, who will do this thing, this Emmanuel, God with us thing, has all power to do such. It's without limits. That's hard for us. To get our brains wrapped around. Why? Because we are limited people. Right? You you go and you exert yourself, and what do you do? You pass out. (laughs) You get tired. You get worn out. There's There's a reason why the hike is hard, right? Because we are not limitless. We take breaks on the hike, we're tired. We need to allow ourselves to recuperate and get back to it. We exert ourselves, and that exertion reminds us how limited we are. Well, God, God, there is no recuperation. He's almighty. God creates, God redeems, and does so without exertion. There's no, there's no such thing as something is. Hard for God, it is exerting for God. The angel says to Mary, with God, all things are possible. Difficult is a non-category for an Almighty God. He just simply does what he does. So can God be born to a virgin? Sure. That is not a problem for a mighty God. Can can he then go on and atone for our sins and make us perfectly righteous in his sight? Sure, that is not a problem for the mighty God. Can he reconcile us with the Father? Sure, not a problem for the mighty God. Can he redeem our lives from the pit? Sure, not a problem for the mighty God. Can he rescue us from the captivity of our sins and the yoke, the burden that enslaves us? Sure, not a problem for the mighty God. Can he rise from the grave and ascend to the Father? Sure, not a problem for the mighty God. The message of Christmas is yes, he can, and yes, he did, and yes, he will because his name is called the mighty God.